Welcome to another episode of Berean's Podcast. Each week, we share a message from the Bible and examine it to understand and learn to apply it to our lives. The hope is that through the wisdom of the Scriptures, we will all be encouraged to make real-life change and that the power of the Gospel will transform our lives. Thanks for listening and enjoy this episode of the Berean Podcast that starts right now. Hey, good morning, Faith family. want to say hello to those that are gathered in Lakeville and in our sanctuary service. Invite all of you, if you would, to turn to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6, continuing uh, this morning in our series called Victorious. We've been uh, taking an overview look at the book of Revelation uh, to encourage us to persevere uh, in our faith in Christ. Uh, One of the promises that I've made is to try to show you that this book that is often intimidating uh, for a lot of us uh, is actually very practical. Even though it uses language that we're not that familiar with, it uses a lot of symbols that are kind of weird to us, it's actually communicating truth that helps us in our everyday life. And uh, that's really important for us. And we're going to come to a section this morning uh, that is all full of symbolism and imagery that, again, at first just seems like, what in the world does that mean? And yet, I really believe that this morning you're going to be comforted and you're going to be encouraged in your faith. And so, uh, if you've got your Bibles or your app and all of our locations, if you're able to stand, would you please do so as we honor the reading of God's Word? And we're going to look at chapter 6, 7 at the beginning of 8. Okay, I know you think we're going to be here a while, okay? But that's all of that kind of goes together in this next section. But for our Scripture reading, let's just look at Revelation chapter six and verse one. Now I watched when the lamb opened one of the seven seals and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, come. And I looked and behold a white horse and its rider had a bow and a crown was given to him and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened a second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. When he opened a third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse. Its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius, three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and famine and pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then they were given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. And when he opened a sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, the stars 
of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll being rolled up. Every mountain and island was removed from its place. The kings of the earth, the great ones, the generals, the rich, the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? This is the Word of God. Faith family, will, will you pray for me? Will you pray for me? Will you pray with me now? And let's ask God to comfort us with this truth that's in His Word. Let's pray together. God, thank You for uh, the book of Revelation. Uh, thank You for the truth that it teaches us. Uh, Lord, help us this morning to not get caught up in, in all the, the details that we don't see, the glorious truth that's before us. Truth that I know, I know there are people here today, they need to hear it. They need to apply it and they need to trust it. So Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, would you come in this moment and would you guide us into the truth of your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. John Bunyan was born in 1628 in Bedford, England. He was born to a very um, a poor, uh, economically poor family situation. His father was what they called a, a tinker. He worked with uh, pots and pans. In addition to that, uh, Bunyan had a very minimal education growing up, and he would go on to become a preacher. Poor guy. Um, but he loved to preach the gospel. That was his passion. And so much so, it actually got him into trouble. In November of 1660, Bunyan was arrested for preaching the gospel and was sentenced to three months in prison. Only he wouldn't serve three months in prison, he would serve 12 years. Because he refused to stop preaching the gospel. While he was in prison, he fought all kinds of attacks. He fought depression. He was grieved over the loss of a child. He constantly worried about his family and whether or not they would have enough money to eat. He fought anxiety. He fought suicidal thoughts. All of this while he was in this prison. And yet, it was from that very prison that his masterpiece was born. You've heard me reference it before, a book called Pilgrim's Progress, translated and copied more than any other book outside of the Bible. Well, recently I've been uh, reading Pilgrim's Progress to my youngest child, my youngest daughter, Ashlyn, and as we've been going through it, I was reminded of a scene in Pilgrim's Progress where Christian, the main character, comes to the house of the interpreter. I'll let Bunyan take over from here. He writes, Then I saw in my dream the interpreter took Christian by the hand and led him where there was a fire burning against the wall. Christian was about to enjoy the warmth when a man with a bucket of water pushed him aside and said, Out of my way, fool. The man put one bucket down and tossed the contents of the other bucket onto the flame. Out, cursed flame, out, I say. And then he picked up the other bucket and tried again. Out, I say, out. 
Yet no matter how much he tried, the flame only went higher. Christian asked, what does this mean? Interpreter said, this fire is the work of grace in the heart. He that pours the water on it is the devil. But in that you see, the fire burns higher and hotter in spite of the water. And you shall see the reason of that. He then took Christian around the backside of the wall where he saw another man with a vessel of oil in his hand which he continually threw into the fire. Christian asked again, what does this mean? And the interpreter said, this is Christ, who continually with the oil of grace maintains the work he has begun in the heart. This was Bunyan's way of describing faith family, how he persevered his prison of persecution. Can I talk to you for a minute? Faith family, has the enemy ever tried to put your flame out? Are you with me this morning? Has your enemy ever tried to put the fire out in your life? A marriage once fueled by love drenched in the cold waters of bitterness. A vocation or calling once fueled with a sense of purpose now drenched in the cold waters of uncertainty. A joy for living, a zeal for life drenched in the waters of discouragement. A a passion for Jesus and for His Word drenched in the cold waters of persecution. That flame that wants to burn so strong seems hardly a flicker anymore. Have you been there? I have. I have. And yet I declare to you today this. Regardless of the enemy's efforts to extinguish the flame of the gospel in your life, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Jesus fuels our faith by the oil of his grace. And how does he do that? He does it in a variety of ways, but one of which is by reminding us that he is sovereign over your life today. Faith Family, Lakeville Sanctuary, I'm not talking about some hypothetical truth. I'm talking about reality in your life that Jesus is sovereign, Jesus is victorious, and that fuels our faith to keep pressing on. Are you with me? It really is what the book of Revelation is all about. The way I've said it is the book of Revelation is not meant to predict the end. It's to make sure you get there. It's to fuel our faith when the trials of life try to put the flame out. Let me remind you what John and the original recipients of this letter were going through. John says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 9, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, who's on an island called Patmos on the account of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. In other words, just like Bunyan was in that prison, John is on this island on account of his faith. Revelation chapter 2, verse 9 to the church at Smyrna, I know your what? Tribulation 
and your poverty, but you are rich, and the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not. The church of Pergamum in Revelation chapter 2, verse 13, you hold fast my name and do not deny my faith, even the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you. Revelation 3, verse 8, this is to the church at Philadelphia, I know you have but little power, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Do you think these individuals were going through tribulation? Very much so. I think it was week two in this series. I described for you the physical persecution they were going through, being torn apart by horses, being lit on fire, being thrown to the lions. They were facing real tribulation. Add to that that we know historically this is what these individuals have gone through. They've experienced an earthquake in 60 AD, an attack on Rome in 62 AD, the persecution of Nero in 64 AD, the Jewish war of 70 AD, a volcanic eruption in 79 AD, and a famine in 92 AD. They've been through a lot. Have you? It's why, by the way, when people say, tribulation is just something that happens in the end time, I laugh. Tell these people that. Well, but it gets worse. Oh, worse than being lit on fire? Okay. They're experiencing real tribulation. I mean, talk about the enemy trying to put the flame out. And there's this question that lingers in their mind. It's a question that lingers in ours as well. Look at verse 10 of chapter 6. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long? Have you ever asked that question? How long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? In other words, when are you going to do something? Have you been there? Are you awake this morning? Have you ever asked God, how long do I have to go through this? How long until you do something about my suffering? If you're the conquering lion, chapter 5, if you're the one who is worthy to open the seals, chapter 5, then when are you going to do something about my suffering? Have you ever had that kind of conversation with the Lord? What's going on? Like uh, the way the book of Habakkuk starts. This is Habakkuk 1 verse 2. Oh Lord, there's the question again. How long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? I cry to you violence and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. Translation, when are you going to do something about this situation? Revelation 1 through 3, chapters 1 through 3, the tribulation that they're in. Chapters 4 and 5, the heavenly perspective that God is on the throne and Jesus is the conquering lion. Chapter 6, okay, if that's true, then when are you going to make things right? This isn't secret code and secret sauce. This is real life Christianity. Are you with me, faith family? 
So what comfort does Jesus give these suffering Christians? What comfort does he give those who are going through real tribulation? Three things in symbolic ways. And here's the first thing. Number one, Jesus reigns over your current tribulation. Jesus reigns over your current tribulation. That's what's taking place here in these seven seals. And for those of you that are note takers, I'll go ahead and give you the whole outline here. You can break these uh, kind of two and a, a quarter chapters down like this. The first Four seals deal with the general tribulation that happens in creation. That's seal one through four. Then in seal five, you're going to see a specific kind of tribulation that happens for Christians. And then in seal six and seven, a final tribulation or judgment for unbelievers. That's how these seven seals break down. Let's unpack them quickly. All meant to comfort us in our tribulation. The first four seals, we're introduced here to the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Show of hands, Lakeville Sanctuary, everybody play along. How many of you have heard of the four horsemen of the apocalypse? Show of hands. Okay. How many of you have, like me, the tattoo of them on your back? Show of hands. I'm just kidding. I don't have a tattoo, as far as you know. Anyways. Who are these people? Who are these riders? This is imagery that even if you don't know a lot about the book of Revelation, you've probably heard this before. Well, keep in mind, and I stress this all the time, the book of Revelation is using symbols to describe literal truth. Is this literal? Yes. In terms of the truth that it's communicating, are these riders literal? Absolutely not. Their imagery actually goes back to Zechariah chapter 6. And what these writers do is symbolically illustrate the kind of tribulation that happens throughout all of creation. And if you'll just give me a few moments, I'll prove that to you. Let's first walk through them, and I'm going to go through this pretty quickly. Verse 2, and I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, a, a, a weapon of war, and a crown, a symbol of kingdom, was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. This first white horse symbolically represents war. Again, you have weaponry, you have a crown of kingdom against kingdoms, and this is something happening in John's day, and this is something that has happened in every generation. I mean, think about how much war has been a part of all of life. I mean, just even in the last few hundred years, American Revolution, War of 1812, Mexican War, Civil War, Spanish-American War, World War I, World War II, War on Terrorism, Vietnam War, on and on and on we could go. War is something that has happened throughout every generation. It's not just something that happens at the end time, it happens throughout all of time. Look at the next one, verse 3. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. In other words, this rider represents bloodshed or violence. 
In addition to war, every generation has experienced all kinds of violence and bloodshed. Protest, murders, beatings, gangs, genocide, abuse, racism, rape, all kinds of violence and bloodshed fill, fill the streets. And of course, that's what John's original audience was going through. Keep reading. Verse 5. When he opened the third seal, I had sort of the third living creature say, come. I looked and behold a black horse. Its rider had a pair of scales in its hand. I heard what seemed to be the voice in the midst of the four living creatures say, a quart of wheat for a denarius, that is a whole day's wage just to buy a quart of wheat, three quarts of barley for a full day's wage, and do not harm the oil and wine. In other words, this rider represents famine, scarcity, economic uncertainty, uh, it takes a whole day's wage just to buy a little bit to eat. It's an economic scarcity, which again was true in John's day, has been true in every day, even in our times. The Great Depression, the Wall Street crash of 1929, 1970s energy crisis, Black Monday in 1987, economic recession in the early 2000s. How many of you, Lakeville Sanctuary, everybody, how many of you have ever experienced markets going up? And markets going down. How many of you have ever been through seasons of plenty or seasons of scarcity? This is something that is true in every generation. It is said that there's approximately 815 million people today in hunger crisis. Keep reading. Verse 7. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, behold, a pale horse, its rider was death, and Hades followed him. They were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine, with pestilence, and by wild beast on the earth. This is a picture of death. Okay? Fortunately, death only happened back then. No, death has been a part of every generation. And sometimes it's happened, like you see symbolically in this text, in large portions. Black death, plagues, 9-11, AIDS, earthquakes, mass destructions, and even just personally, some of you have gone through the loss of a loved one. This is part of the tribulation that everybody experiences. Now, in this fifth seal, hang with me, we're almost to the point. In the fifth seal, we see a specific kind of tribulation towards Christians. Verse 9, And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. And they were each given a white robe, told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been killed. Now, again, you got to keep... This is not a secret code. This is real life. Those that would have received this letter would have said, yeah, yesterday my brother died because of his faith. I watched my sister in Christ be burned alive because she refused to deny the gospel. Antipas, our brother, was killed because of his faith. This isn't hypothetical. This isn't way off some, you know, thousands of years later. No, this is right now. 
And that was true then, and it's true today. I I could fill all kinds of time today giving you stats of Christian persecution around the world today. The Easter bombings in Sri Lanka this year, a crackdown in China that's taking place today. I've got dear friends who are missionaries having to flee the country because of the persecution against Christians. Violence in India up 400% towards Christians in the la- since 2014. In the last decade, it is estimated that over a million Christians were martyred because of their faith. It's been true in every generation. And as a church historian, I will tell you, persecution has not been abnormal. It has been normal throughout the history of the church. Are you with me? Okay. And some of you are going to wait to meet me in the commons afterwards. And you're going to say, these writers are talking about the end times. Well, okay, the fact that this is true for all time includes the end time. But this is not just talking about something that's going to happen off in the end. This is talking about something that happens throughout. And you say, why do you say that? To which I say, I didn't. Jesus did. I told you if you'd give me a few moments, I'd prove this. Watch. Revelation 6 parallels what Jesus said in Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verse 3, And Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to Him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? And Jesus said, I'm not going to tell you when, I'm going to tell you what. See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear, you're kidding me. Wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. And nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be, I'll wait on you, famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. And they will deliver you, Christian, up to tribulation and put you to death, martyrs, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Verse 13, but the one who endures to the end. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm not concerned about you predicting the end. I'm going to tell you what you're going to have to persevere to get to the end will be saved, and the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then, if you must know, the end will come. Here's the point, faith family. Tribulation, according to Jesus, is not something that happens at the end time. Tribulation is something that happens throughout all time. But I don't miss the larger point of this. The larger point here in Revelation 6 is this, Jesus reigns over all of it. Jesus 
reigns over it all. He is sovereign over it all. He is the one that opens the seals, verse 1. A crown was given to the first rider. The second rider was permitted to take peace. Verse 8 says they were given authority. In other words, do you want something real life? Do you want to see what all these symbols actually teach us that you can apply today and tomorrow and the day after? It's this. Jesus is sovereign over your suffering. Jesus is sovereign over your suffering. There is nothing happening in creation that is not a part of his purpose. And you say, well, can you explain that? No, I'm not God. Amen? You should at least amen that. I'm not God. Amen? Okay, thank you. Okay? Listen, I can't explain all the ways of God. I can't explain all of this. But what the Bible clearly teaches and in what is good news for me right now is that none of these riders gallop throughout history outside the sovereign purpose of God. That's comforting. That's not secret code. That's serious comfort in the daily walk of faith. But while that's comforting, there is still the question of, but are you going to make things right? Which is the question in verse 10. And that's what the sixth and seventh seal represent. Let's look at it quickly. Verse 12. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood. The stars of the sky fell of the earth. Don't get caught up in all this imagery. It is just Old Testament imagery of wrath. Like tree sheds its winter fruit by being shaken by the gale. The sky vanished like a scroll being rolled up. Every mountain and island removed from its place. Kings of the earth, the great ones, generals rich and powerful, everyone slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. Calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. And the great day of their wrath has come. And who? can stand. And if you go on and read the seventh seal at the beginning of chapter 8, you'll see the same kind of uh, judgment and tribulation that is poured out. What's the point? Okay, you with me? Follow the flow. Chapters 1 through 3, we're going through tribulation. Chapters 4 and 5, God is seated on the throne and Jesus is the conquering lamb. Chapter 6, All of this tribulation is going on and Jesus reigns over it. But are you ever going to make it right? And the answer that comes to them is this. Yes. One day I will settle all accounts. One day I will make every wrong right. There is a day of wrath and judgment that is to come. And I realize, faith family, that in today's feel-good culture, the idea of God's judgment is not a popular one. Have you ever gone to a Christian bookstore or on Amazon and seen a book called 40 Days Until Your Wrath-Filled Life? You haven't, have you? Because no one will write that book because no one will buy that book. 
Think of how many worship songs are all about the love of God. I've never heard one about the wrath of God. Oh, the wrath of God. Nobody sings that in church. But as your pastor, I would not be faithfully serving you if, it did not, if I did not tell you that God will judge. That there is a day of wrath that God will settle accounts. And deep down, every one of us, even if you're kind of new to the faith or you're just exploring things and you don't maybe like that idea, here's why you know it's true. Because deep down, there's a longing in every one of us for justice, that things ought to be made right. Like in one of my favorite Denzel Washington movies, a movie called The Hurricane. If you've not seen it, you ought to see it. It's about Reuben Hurricane Carter, a professional boxer back in the 1960s. He was arrested and falsely accused of triple murder. With very little evidence and no proof of motive and bribed witnesses, he spent two decades in prison. Finally, in 1985, after losing his wife and career and children in the most productive years of his life, he stood before a district court judge in New Jersey and he asked for one thing, justice. Doesn't that resonate with you? Isn't there a sense in you that just says, justice ought to be served. Things that are wrong ought to be made right. That's what verse 10 is asking, and what gets answered in those final seals is Jesus is going to make all the wrongs right one day. That ought to comfort you as you endure and persevere tribulation. And then here's the final truth in this text that we see today that's comforting and encouraging us as we persevere in the faith, and we find it in chapter 7 and verse 9. Let's just look at it quickly. It says, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, crying out with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Now listen to verse 13. One of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Everybody, Lakeville Sanctuary, come here, come here, come here. Chapters 1 through 3, the real tribulation they're going through. True then, true now. Perspective, chapter 4 and 5, that God is sovereign on the throne. Jesus is the conquering lion. Chapter 6, when are you going to do something about this? Here's what you need to know. is not when. What you need to know is what. 
And what is I reign over your current situation? I will make right every wrong that is done to you. And thirdly, I'm going to reward you with eternal triumph. You may feel like you're losing today. You will be victorious in the end and forever because of the victory of the Lamb. And notice here that they are clothed in white robes. That is, this is not true because of anything we have done. This is true because of what Christ has done. He has forgiven us of our sin. He has washed us white as snow. And because of that, we have a future and eternal hope. What a comfort to fuel our faith and persevere in the prison of persecution. Notice this on the screen. One day Jesus will calm forever. One day Jesus will calm forever a creation in chaos. And that includes your life. One day Jesus is going to calm a creation in chaos, including your life. Everything that is done by those writers in chapter 6, Jesus reverses in chapter 7 when He says He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Are you hurting? Are you suffering? Are you going through difficulty? Here's what you need to know today. Jesus is sovereign over your right now. And Jesus is going to make everything right in the end. And Jesus is going to reward you for all eternity. Don't let the fire die. Don't let that spark go out. I know the enemy is pouring buckets of water onto your life to extinguish your faith. Be refueled today by the grace of Christ, by knowing that Jesus reigns over the tribulation of your life and He will reward you with eternal life. After all, there was a day when the enemy thought he had put out that flame for good until three days later when Jesus walked out in glorious light. The enemy didn't put the fire out then. And he won't put the fire out now. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Let's pray together. Thank you, God, for this great truth in the book of Revelation. Yes, it is, it is imagery that we're not used to, but yet it is truth we desperately need. We need it today, and we need it tomorrow, because we have a real enemy that wants to extinguish the flame of the gospel, the passion that we have for you, God. Thank you that Jesus, by His grace, just continues to fuel our faith. And one of the ways is just reminding us that you reign, you're going to make it right, and that you will reward those who keep pressing on. God, help us do that. I don't know where everybody's at today, but I know there are people in here right now that are suffering. They may not be going through what John was going through, but they're going through what they're going through, and that matters to you. So encourage our hearts today 
in the good news and the hope of the gospel that we have in Jesus Christ. And we pray it in his name. Amen. And that does it for this episode of the Berean Podcast. All of our ministries at Berean are geared towards the mission of seeing lives transformed by the power of the gospel. If you would like to be connected with our faith family or give to the mission of Berean, just jump online to our website, bereanbaptist.com. Thanks for listening today, and we pray that you are encouraged by today's episode. Be sure to like us on social media, and we'll see you here next time on the Berean Podcast.